Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. Over the last decade, we've had some really fun and innovative artist collaborations with clothing retailers. Today, I'm excited to talk about a brand new Quail Forever collaboration with Orvis. Through the launch of our new Orvis, Orvis, easy for me to say, Orvis and QF Covey Call t-shirt. Sales will generate donations from Orvis to QF's Habitat mission. This gorgeous shirt features artwork from Upland Hunter and artist Jay Dowd. And joining me today for this episode, returning his uh, returning to the podcast, QF editor Chad Love and Orvis's very own Reed Bryant, host of the Orvis Hunting and Shooting podcast. And I'm really looking forward to this. Uh, all three of us know each other and are friends sort of independently, but this is the first time we've had a menage a trois conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so how's that for when, when you started with that M sound, I thought it was going to be a meeting of the minds or something, but well, it turned well, rapidly. Well, the seller quickly. <laughs> it's one of those things when, you know, you're recording and, you know, it's the first word that comes into your head and like, well, I probably shouldn't say this, but I can't think of anything else, right? It's, it, and it plays, it, before we hit record, Reed, you were talking about how when you're the host, like, you know, you set this up and you kind of have an idea where you're going to go and then you hit record and your grasp of the English language sometimes goes out the door. Uh, it goes completely. <laughs> I remember, I remember too, when I, um, when I was a little kid, I grew up outside of Boston and we had the Boston Museum of Science, which was like where you went on field trips as a little kid. And they had a, um, like a little sound studio where you could record yourself talking and then play it back. And I remember like conversing with a friend on the ride home on the bus and just being like, man, we sound like idiots just like <laughs> what's wrong with us and uh so yeah indeed that has not that experience never left me you've got your you've got a radio background though so you you've got this dial this yeah like, bob's got the radio well, voice yeah well i you know i do radio for free so what's that tell you it's not, <laughs> it's not like i get paid for it and, and i always my my buddy that i uh, worked in baseball with uh brian bellows no, not that, not the NHL Brian Bellows, but a, a different Brian Bellows. He he always accused me of having, you know, when I was talking to clients um, in the baseball world, like, oh, you got such a radio voice when you talk to clients, but when you're a normal person, you sound like a normal person. <laughs> so um, I I aspire to be a normal person voice rather than a radio voice. See, I've always said that I uh, I have a uh, what is it? Um, a face for print and a voice. No, no, it's a it's a face for radio and a voice for print. That's the best way I describe myself. But you probably didn't know this, Bob. I actually worked in radio for three weeks once. <laughs> I did know that. Did I tell well, you that story? You, you, what I was think the you told me that in the interview. Yeah. Well, when I first moved up where I live now, I was like fresh out of school and uh, 
uh, was looking for a job. My, my wife had gotten a job teaching school up here and, and uh, uh, the local radio station was looking for a news director. And I had never worked in news before, but I had been writing for my local newspaper back in Norman when I was going to school. And so that was that I, apparently that qualified me to be a news director in a small town radio market and uh, never worked radio in my life. And the first time I heard my, my voice on the radio, I kind of had the same re reaction that you did, Reed. I was like, I sound like an absolute <laughs> stuttering moron. Right, right. <laughs> and, and I lasted for three weeks. And I said, I, I, I can't. Luckily, a job at the local newspaper came up and I was back in my element. I didn't have to talk to people. I didn't have to hear my voice. So, uh, so yeah. Well, Do you remember? Oh, so, sorry. About no, that. go ahead, Reed. No, I was just going to say before, Chad, I think it was before you got on, Bob and I were chatting about how we're about the same age and like the the terrible TV and movies that occupied much of our childhood and like filled our brains and turned them steadily to mush. But do you remember a WKRP in WKRP. Cincinnati? <laughs> Classic with Lonnie Anderson. Man, that's, that's what I assume all like all radio stations are like behind the scenes. Yeah, Chad would be the Johnny Fever. Right, Johnny Fever. <laughs> Johnny Which Fever. is completely incongruent. And if folks follow chad on instagram which uh, chad's handle on instagram is <laughs> dispatches from nowhere um and and if they follow chad on instagram i wish i i'd take a snapshot of chad on the video screen right now because it's completely incongruent to his kind of persona on social media he's he's you know wearing this headset that's um, very flashy <laughs> and flamboyant. It looks like you're a um, like you're a professional influencer right now, Chad. It you does. Do. You do. It does. You do. Either like that or a, a, a mid seventies radio DJ. <laughs> <laughs> Butterfly collar and all. all right. You're right. I have to say though that Chad's, um, and I say this in complete sincerity, that your uh, your Instagram content is far and away my favorite like it's you've taken instagram to a very different place that it needed to go and uh and it's really uh, some of your best work i mean i'm not just saying that like it's really i love i love the little insights i get into your to your well, day you know, and your your mind it's it's interesting because i when i first got on instagram uh like like everybody else i just thought uh i'll just you know share some pictures and and you know noodle around with it and everything and uh, uh, so that's what I did. And then it, it sort of morphed into because, you know, basically, Reed, you and I have talked about this a lot. No one really reads anymore, you know, <laughs> long form stuff or very rarely. And so what I found Instagram did for me was it forced me to write a lot tighter than I normally did, mm. used to. And uh, because, you know, I, I used to assume that people that I, if I would craft this like four or five hundred word piece and then combine it with the pretty picture on Instagram that people would actually take the time to read the entire piece. Well, that's absolutely not the case. I mean, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a scrolling medium, you know? And so you've got to, it, it forces you to, 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 to try to say a lot in a really truncated space. Mm. And so, and I wasn't very good at that, to be quite honest, when I first started, I mean, I thought I was, I mean, I came from a newspaper background, so, you know, write tight and all, but, uh, uh, what Instagram has done is kind of forced me to write a lot tighter. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, but I am becoming quite the, uh, 
the, the influencer juggernaut. I think I have like 700 followers now. So I'm, <laughs> I'm really on that upward trajectory. That's awesome. That's good. <laughs> Do you, so I am open for sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. Sponsor me, bro. Come on. Brand ambassador, right. any of that stuff. Uh, just call me. You, a lot of what you do on Instagram is push back against <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> it is um, true. It is true. Do you, I mean, do you find yourself, you know, generally speaking, your persona is anti-social media. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah that's, that's fair. Do you like, are you liking social media or any of the platforms more than you once did? Or is like, no, I just got to be there for work. And which, which you've said multiple times that I've just forced <laughs> you to be on social media for work. So I'm, I'm asking you to, to, you know, go to the truth room and, and you know, do you like it or not? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always going to be a complicated relationship with me, you know. It, I mean, it, it's just like it a is. menage a trois. Yeah, it's like you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> Note to self: no more menage a trois. Right. Um, the, I mean, it it is, and and I, you know, Reed and I have talked about this a lot, and probably you and I have talked about this a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a. Sometimes I think it's a, it's a great medium, and then sometimes I just can't stand it. You know, it just kind of depends on my mood, but it. Uh, I generally have kind of come to terms with Instagram. I mean, I'm always going to be all about the word. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a writer. That's what I started out as that my first love is, is the written word. And, and, you know, and you're my boss, you, you know, this, I, I tend to write a lot. And so uh, I, I like long form journalism. I always have, but, uh, but I, I found that Instagram has, has kind of helped me sort of concentrate um on on story ideas and concepts uh, because it, if you if you notice a lot of what I write on Instagram it, it tends to show up in columns and stories in the magazine mm -hmm. and so I use it as kind of almost like a, a tablet like a like a, a scribbling pad for for ideas and concepts and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't uh, but uh, so yeah I, I I have to say I mean I get frustrated with Instagram a lot I mean I I am a, a, a a misanthropic personality by nature, a little bit of a curmudgeon. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I see on Instagram, uh, I, I, I tend to make fun of and be a little bit scoffing toward, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I do kind of like it. And now, now Facebook, I've kind of gotten off of Facebook. I haven't really done a lot on Facebook lately other than what, uh, what you forced me to do for work. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. And I, I've thought about this a lot. And here's the thing. The thing is, and this kind of circles back to my true nature is that, I don't like the ease of interactiveness on Facebook. Like, mm. like if I, if I write something on Facebook, it, people just feel compelled to, to comment about it, you know, that is like, and for some reason they don't seem to do it as much on Instagram, which I kind of like. I mean, if you want to like it, that's fine. But uh, uh, it, there's not, there's not as much conversation on Instagram mm. as there is on, on Facebook. And, uh, and, Maybe because I don't like to talk to people very much. I just kind of like that more. I don't know. What, what I, I have to say that I love about your Instagram, besides the writing, is it like gives me this very, I feel like it's a, maybe this is, maybe you you set a, a tone here with the menage a trois, whatever, <laughs> but, but it gives me a very like intimate look into sort of how you're interpreting the world around you. This is what I love about your Instagram hit, or uh, platform, whatever. Con, uh, what am I trying to say? account um yeah. is is that like 
you know, you'll see, and for those who don't follow Chad's stuff, definitely get on there because you'll see like, I can see where you've stopped your bike on the side of some dirt road and picked up, you know, or looked at like a snake that got run over or something like that. And you're kind of interpreting, okay, what was the backstory here? How did people interface with, with, you know, reptiles and amphibians or whatever, just sort of the musings of your mind. But it gives me this really, in a, in a way that I don't feel with other people, because I feel like there's always a, a, a point to be made with a lot of, of content on Instagram is sort of like, okay, I'm proving that either I did this or I was here or look at how good my dinner is or whatever, you know, and your, yours is just a lot more sort of like, it feels very, um, this will sound, I, I don't mean this to sound negative and I, I hope it doesn't come across that way, but it's almost like childlike in its curiosity. It's sort of like, oh, I just saw this. And this is like what I'm stream of consciousness, like digesting about what I'm seeing in the world around me. And that's what I, that's what I love about it because I feel like at root, what I love about your writing is that you do that. You just sort of like something hits you from a certain angle and you're sort of like, huh, I'm going to stop and like look at that for a little while and interpret it, make meaning of it, make sense of it on, you know, in my written work or whatever. But it, it just doesn't, it, it, what I like about it is that it lacks that, like, I have to prove that, that this is the biggest snake that ever got run over by a car. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's none of that. It's just like, oh, this is what I'm seeing. I don't know. I think that's very, very refreshing personally. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, for better or for worse, um, you know, probably introspection is the root of all my writing. Uh, it, you know, I just like that and, and curiosity. You know, I've, I've always been a, a just a this kind of like questioning, curious, uh, kind of inward looking person. And uh, sometimes it doesn't make me the life of the party. Uh, but uh, <laughs> and I noticed Bob's the one to laugh about that. Uh, but uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just I, I don't know. It's just like I think if you if you can't find some wonder and curiosity and awe in the world around you, then and and you know and and find some way to articulate that, then uh, uh, then what's the point? You know, then then what's the point of actually writing something? You know, right, 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 uh, for sure. The other thing, Chad, that I think at least I interpret Instagram's done and I wholeheartedly agree with the conversation about, you know, your sort of impressions and thoughts of the world around you, but it's also allowed you to find new voices. Yeah. Um, particularly for the QF journal. Like I, I don't think you would have encountered some folks that are now writing articles for QF. Yeah. I mean, um, we're talking to one of them. Well, you, I mean, well, read, I mean, no, read I stalked sort you, Chad. Of, you know that I stalked you for years. Yeah, read sort of ubiquitous in the outdoor <laughs> yeah. world, right? I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing or. Well, no, it is. I mean, for sure it is. I mean, it's, it, you're, you're prolific in your writing. You're connected to Orvis. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, Chad's found voices that, you know, have smaller followings than him. And that's saying something. <laughs> so, so, but they, you know, nurturing those unique, diverse, different voices yeah, yeah, is yeah. sort of a unappreciated asset of Instagram. And Logan really talked about that from a photography perspective, yeah, but you've used it a, the same way for writing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that, uh, that I will say um, that, that I appreciate Instagram for is that, uh, it, it has allowed me to kind of go out there and try to find, you know, some, some voices and some, some, you know, some writers who, uh, 
uh, might not otherwise be be noticed uh, or might not otherwise have you know have uh, an outlet for that and and I look for you know I, I look for people with a little bit of a spark and a, or a voice you know some some intangible thing that just makes their their words kind of sing mm-hmm. you know and that's the thing I mean anybody can write a story uh, but it's it's that voice that you bring to a story and it's that perspective that you bring to a story that what is what really separates it from a run-of-the-mill you know linear narrative you know typical me and joe type hook and bullet thing i think that's a great point i think one of the things that i do and it's a blessing and a curse right is that and i've I've used this word before describing social media is that it's totally democratic like anyone can go you don't you don't need a you don't need to pass a test to get access to the to the, the interwebs right like you can just do it and to me, that means that there's a proliferation of, of information that then you as the consumer are responsible for figuring out what's what, what you like, what you don't, what's real, what's not, you know, all of those processes that, that I think we're facing now in a big way that we've never had to before. But the flip side of that is, you know, you think of all of those, I always think about, uh, um, so I'm, re- I'm referencing all of my like 80s sort of pop culture and stuff. But uh, do you ever see um, Barfly with Mickey Rourke and Faye Dunaway? Oof. I've, it's a, I've, I remember the video <laughs> cover, but I don't remember seeing it. So it, the screenplay was written by Charles Bukowski and the yeah. gist of the, um, it's got Frank Stallone in it, which is pretty funny in and of itself. Sylvester Stallone's like less famous brother, but nonetheless, <laughs> like, so the gist of the story is there's this guy played by Mickey Rourke, who's, who's in essence, Charles Bukowski. Um, and he, he just, he, he loves being a bar fly. Like he's sort of this down and out gritty, grim, awful, uh, you know, hard drinking guy, but he's a writer and he, and he gets discovered. And that's like his big torturous thing is like, do I, as he says to his publisher who like discovers him, he's like, you're living in a cage with golden bars, you know, it's like, (laughs) that's like his thing. And I think that the beauty of social media is that you wonder how many writers, how many artists, how many, whoever, you know, just happen to navigate the maze of, of, whatever it took to get their stuff amplified, whatever the platform was, they had to gain a, gain a foothold on that platform. And for all of those people that did, there must've been zillions who were wonderful, you know, Mm -hmm. who wrote great stuff, had great thoughts, produced great content and just didn't have a voice or a platform to share it. And I think that that's in the best light. That's what I see. And, uh, and I've, I've experienced the same thing the chat has. Like I've, you know, met people or, or sort of tied to get, you know, I was just talking to a fellow. Um, actually I'll, I'll, I don't know if I'm allowed to say names on the podcast, maybe I shouldn't, but someone who's <laughs> affiliated with pheasants forever, who I, I found you know, is a guy from Nebraska who's into, into gun dogs and stuff like that. And, uh, just found him on the internet and we've struck up, you know, both a working relationship and a personal relationship. And I'm going to hunt with him in, uh, December. And, and it's just sort of like, it opens your world in a way that I think, um, again, is somewhat dangerous sometimes, but is also pretty amazing. And I think, yeah, I, I could go on and on because this I think yeah. about this too much. But anyway. yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the, the publishing and writing world has changed so much over the the past twenty to, to twenty five years. And Reed, you and I have talked about this before. I mean, it's like I when I started writing, when I started freelancing full time back in two thousand, 
uh, I got in it on the, the tail end of of the sort of the traditional model of of you know freelancing and writing and sending it. You know, I remember I would I used to send in a, a self addressed stamped envelope. You know, with so they could return my rejected manuscripts. Yeah, I, yeah. I pay for I pay for my rejected manuscript to come back to me. You know, that was sort of the cruel ironies of, of the the industry back then. And of course, but there were and there were a lot more markets back then. And and it has changed completely. You know, there just aren't nearly as many markets for writers. There aren't any. There aren't nearly as many paying opportunities or mm. traditional paying opportunities for writers. And so a lot of writers don't even query anymore. You know, one of the things that I um, that amazed me about about this job when I first got this job was I thought that I would get just this deluge of, of people sending in story ideas. For the most part, it doesn't happen. For the most part, I mean, I will get a few. Uh, uh, most of them are not, not great. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> but, but I mean, you, you do find those diamonds among the rough. But, mm. but uh, I, I was struck by how few people actually tried and so that, that's what forced me to go out and start looking for voices. And, and what you say is true. I mean, it, it does Instagram, Facebook, social media, you know, blogs used to be a thing. Uh, it does give, you know, both the person producing that content a platform mm -hmm. and also the, the person looking for content, which is, would be me as an editor, to go out and, and try, to, try to find those voices. And so I mean, you do have to, you have to go through, uh, a, a lot of chaff to, to find the wheat, but uh, you know, you can find them. Do you get a lot of uh, um, completed manuscripts? Do you get people just sending you completed stories? Of a very few. Really? Uh, oh, that yeah. surprised me. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, they're just, there are far fewer writers out there today. I think people trying to, and of course there are very few full-time writers anymore. I mean, that's just kind of gone the way of the buggy whip or the dinosaur. Yeah. Uh, and they're, and a, uh, of of the people who have this like sort of this this urge this this you know urging to to create to write a lot of them are doing it quietly on on an Instagram page or a blog or something like that they're not actively trying to find markets for the work so so it is a little bit of a challenge to go out there and try to find those people. What about the relationship you guys have, Reed? Do you pitch Chad stories, or Chad, do you go to Reed and say, "Here's a concept that I'm looking for a writer for," or do you? Maybe Reed it's, has full-fledged manuscripts and pitches it, or is it a little bit of everything? Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, Reed's one of those writers that uh, I feel confident in saying, "Just, just write me something." You know, just, just so, you know. And I, I am a a little bit, and Bob, you'll, you'll probably recognize this as part of my personality here. But I'm, I'm really much more of, of kind of like a freewheeling kind of hands-off editor. I like to I like to talk with a writer about a like a general concept or just like a vague idea or a generality, and then just say, "Yeah, go see what you know. Go run with it. And see what happens." Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, as I always characterize this, you know, sometimes what I get is is just this like because I don't want to constrain the writer. Very much. You know, I mean, if it's a very defined topic, mm -hmm. then yeah, we'll we'll talk about you know structure and all that. But if it's a and like, and again, I'm a word guy. I'm a literary prose guy, and so I don't want to. I don't want to put too many chains on the writer, and so I just say, just kind of see where it takes you. And, uh, and sometimes what I get is great, and sometimes it blows up in my face. You know, kind of like that old Far Side of of I don't know if you remember the old Gary Larson Far Side of mm -hmm. God in his bedroom experimenting with the chicken. You know, trying to make a chicken, and it's like blows up in his face. 
it's just sometimes that happens with me and, and, and but sometimes what I get is is a is a gem. It's interesting to hear you talk about it because like I I came into the freelancing world some somewhat uh, not late late but like sort of sort of later in life never anticipating that I would have anything get public like I I wasn't driven to be a writer by any means early in my life. I wasn't one of those people. I think you're probably compelled more this way, Chad. Like you sort of have to do it. Like there's a compulsion there. And I definitely didn't have that, but I liked, I love to read and I liked, I liked what good writing represented to me. And I liked how I just liked everything about it. It's like some people, you know, like certain art, you know, whatever, whatever, there was just something in it that I just always loved. And, and the way I started, because I didn't know any different, I just assumed that editors wanted completed manuscripts. So I would just send out, I'd write it, I'd sit down and make myself write a story, hash it out, hash it out, hash it out, get it through some revisions, and then wind up with something that I thought was like, good enough to send in to submit. <clears throat> but it was kind of like just throwing these lobs you know just being like i hope this lands i hope someone gets it and what was um what was weird and probably not great you know in retrospect i mean i'm grateful it's it's worked out but it i i would just try to decipher like what does this what does this publication or what does this editor or what does whatever what do they what are they what does this audience want and can i provide something to that audience that, you know, because generally it was an audience that I was a part of too. It was like, what would I want to read? And then I would just kind of, but, but it was generally completed manuscripts. It's funny. Like it's very, it's more frequent now for me that I'll, that I'll sort of pitch a piece and, and then fill in the kind of backfill from there. But generally it was like what struck me at the moment. And then I wrote it and then I submitted it. And I guess I'm, I'm, uh, I'm grateful that, that, people publish that stuff because they were probably just sort of like, where did this come from? All right. I guess we'll plug it in somewhere, you know? And uh, yeah, I think it was just a lucky, I don't know, lucky turn of events. In my yeah. And, and that's kind of how I was as a freelancer too. I, I, I generally preferred uh, because I, I was not, I was not much of a how to guy. And, mm. and of course when I started freelancing, I was, I was not strictly just a hook and bullet, you know, freelancer, uh, you know, the old freelancer's credo of, of, you know, when you're living hand to mouth, you better be ambidextrous. So, like I wrote anything. It's like I'd write for regional magazines. I'd stream for magazines or for newspapers, anything. And so, you know, you, you get to, you get to the point where you're, you're, you, you're flexible enough to, to, to write, to, to kind of recognize what a publication wants. And so I, mine was always a mix of, you know, story pitches. If I was, if I was generally speaking, if it was going to be like a nonfiction piece, I'd, I'd send in a pitch. If it was going to be like a prose piece or something, I just wrote something and sent it in over the transom and either they, they liked it or they rejected it. Mm-hmm. it Reed, you've written a couple of books. How mm-hmm. did the books, um, Orvis's Guide to Upland Hunting and, and Training Bird Dogs with Ronnie Smith Kennels, how, how did those two books come to be? Uh, so I actually have a third book as well. <laughs> oh, you do? Yeah, I do. But no one can get it. That makes it even more <laughs> mysterious. No, I, I did write a, a, a like a history. It's this. I probably shouldn't have even brought that up. Why I said that just now, I don't even know. Because it's it was like a private publication for a, um, a gentleman who owns a Salmon River 
literally owns the Salmon River in uh, Western Russia, and he wanted a comprehensive history. So I wrote a comprehensive history of the Panoy River. So if you have a copy of The Incomparable Panoy, A History, send it my way and I'll sign it for you, and it'll be worth <laughs> I don't know. I, I actually don't feel bad that I didn't know that now, <laughs> that I understand <laughs> it. Yeah, right. Um, I just like to think that I was capable of writing more than, more. Than, I don't know. It's like everyone's a feather in my cap, right? So I had to say it stroke the ego. So the, I was terrified of the idea. I'll tell you a bit, little bit of the backstory. I was hunting with a fellow. Um, this is before, so it would have been about nine years ago. I was hunting with a, uh, a group of folks um, in Southern Arizona hunting desert quail. And it was a, a, I don't even know how this happened. I got invited on a trip with a photographer friend, Grossenbacher, who, who mm. you guys know, and um, and another guy, Dan Michaels, that owns a hunting lodge or a fishing lodge rather up in um, Alaska. And then Dave Brown, uh, Dave Brown Outfitters is a guide, guides all over, but sort of a journeyman, old school wild bird guide. Um, anyway, we we're hunting on a gentleman's property in in, uh, in the Coronado or near the Coronado National Forest. And um, we were sitting at dinner one night and he had... Um, do you know what Sotol is? Like the so Sotol is essentially a um uh it, it's an agave and they make okay. if it's if it's not made in a specific region of um of Mexico then it can't be tequila or it can't be uh mezcal I guess so Sotol is sort of like another version of the same and it was flowing <laughs> and we were all a, a bit tipsy and uh and somehow it came up this idea of like something you know we sort of went around the table and said something we wanted to do. Hmm. and I, or where we wanted to be as some, some sort of aspirational, you know, far flung goal or, or desire we had. And, um, and I said, I want to write a book and I had always wanted to write a book, but I just did not think I had the chops to do it. And in my head, that was always a novel. It was always creative, you know, creative, um, writing that, mm -hmm. that would be the book that I would want to write that I would not be able to write and therefore would never write. So when I started working at Orvis, um, or just, uh, for those listeners who know Tom Rosenbauer is a guy who's kind of an icon on the fly fishing side of things. And he was worked for Orvis for a bunch of years. I think just turned his like 40th year working for the company. And he's written a series of, of how to pieces. Um, Orvis guide to, you know, fly fishing, small streams and matching the hatch and blah, 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 you know, all these different titles. I probably just got those wrong too, but nonetheless, he, uh, he, he was a guy who I looked up to, as a kid. And then I met him and sort of saw how those books had served his role at Orvis mm -hmm. and were helpful in just getting, um, getting people involved in the sport. You know, they were, they were not necessarily creative, but he had creative license to tell the story of whatever the skill set was in a way that was like, uh, authentic to him. So pretty early on in my time in order, so I was just trying to figure out like corporate or quasi corporate America, you know, I'd come from an education background, just couldn't figure out like how to use my computer, <laughs> like couldn't like respond to emails, right. And like, I was just everything was wrong. And I was like, what, I need to like boost my confidence here. Like, what do I know how to do? And I went and talked to Rosenbauer. And I was like, do you think, you know, if I wanted to do a comprehensive guide to up on hunting, just for the person that didn't grow up with it, if you didn't have it, handed to you person to person like it seems so far away it seems like mm -hmm. so abstract that like how would i learn how to do this it seems impossible and i had had 
somewhat had that experience. And I had thought a lot about that, that like, how did I navigate my way into this world as a late teens, early twenties person? And how would I share that experience with other people so they could have an easier road, um, easier pathway. And, and that's really what it stemmed from. And I, uh, kind of hammered out a outline and got some input on that from some friends and, and other folks. And, um, and then Rosenbauer put me in touch with his publisher, Rizzoli, uh, kind of pitched the idea, got Brian Grossenbacher, my photographer friend on board. And, um, and then <coughs> we kind of ha hammered out the, um, I think he had to send in a sample. It was like a, send in a chapter or something, an intro mm. just to, to kind of pitch it outline, so on and so forth. And then, then you get down to negotiating terms. Cause of course you don't want to, I mean, this was my experience. I have very limited experience with, with public you know, book publication, but it was sort of like, we're not going to commit to you. And I don't want to commit to all these hours if the thing's just going to sit there and gather dust. So um, we kind of hammered out the details of the contract and blah, 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 blah. And then it was like, okay, good. Sign the thing. And now it's like, now I got to write a book. <laughs> like, but, um, but the thing about that book, and I'm really proud. I appreciate you bringing that book up because Thor was guided up on honey. I'm really proud of it because I was able to, I feel, I, sadly, I, I don't know that it's even gotten enough traction to stay in publication, which it may, again, be one of those ones that sort of dies on the vine. But uh, um I felt like it covered all of the bits and pieces that I was had asked, you know, mm -hmm. answered the questions that I had asked. And it also allowed me the freedom and flexibility to talk a little bit about the, the bigger um, kind of personal relationship I had to hunting and the, and the more personal relationship I had to the aspects of hunting that are quite frankly, like challenging or, or, or that are, maybe conjure up some, some conflict in people, you know, mm -hmm. how, what about killing things? What about guns? What about, um, uh, I don't know, like dogs and the way you, the way you, it's just all of these other bits and pieces that I think get kind of left out of the narrative a lot. And, uh, yeah. and so I had license to explore some of that and just tell my story, which I felt very grateful for. Um, so I'm proud of that piece. I, I hope it lasts. I hope it, it, you know, whatever, even if it doesn't stay in publication currently, I hope it rises from the ashes one day or something. Cause I, it is, it is something I'm proud of. And then the Ronnie Smith. Well, um, just before you leave that, I, I, yeah. I wanted to say, you know, like, and, and I don't mean this negative negatively, but when you, when you think about, or when, when I first saw, you know, the Orvis guide to wing shooting, it, it sort of has that. I had the impression that this is just going to be a how to. Right. Like, mm -hmm. and I don't know why necessarily, maybe it because it was the Orvis brand, you know, and just the expectation that this was going to be how to, but, you know, and this is a publication that Pheasants Forever carried in our store for a number of years too. And, 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 and when I read it, it was like, whoa, this is way deeper than a how to it. Like you talk about, it is introspective. It is, it, it, you know, you wrestling with, you know, harvesting an animal, killing an animal, eating it, um, the different landscapes that these different birds live in. And it, it is much more, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's that fiction story novel that you were right. Uh, right. maybe aspiring to, but it's way more um, complex 
yeah. than I was expecting it to be when I picked it up based on kind of the, the cover. If I, yeah. you know, go ahead, Chad. And, and that's one of the, that's a perfect example of, of what I'm talking about in the difference between like a standard writer and a writer that brings something else to the table. Hmm. You know, you, you take, it can, you have a book here that is ostensibly a how-to book and it can go one of two ways. It can go straight how-to, which is fine. I'm not saying anything, you know, derogatory about the straight how-to book. A lot of them are, are great. Or you, you can, you could go a different direction and put a little bit of something into it that voice. makes it voice, you know? And, and it's just, that's, that's exactly, that's, that's the kind of writer that I look for. That's the kind of writer that Reed is. And uh, that book is, is a perfect example of, of what I look for, you know, and why I use Reed quite a bit. Yeah. And it's, you know, the thing about that for me, and this is probably a crutch in a sense is that I don't really think, I lack the confidence to think that I really am capable of telling anyone how to do anything. Like, exactly, I'm sort yeah. of like, sort of like, I don't know any more than you know, than Chad, you know, either you guys knows and than anyone knows. And so it's much more about like trying to think of an example from that book. I talked to a lot of guides when I wrote that and I would sort of say like, what makes you nervous that customers or clients do what are the things when you've been walking and i would ask guys like you you know or people like you what when you've been out in the field like what are the when you're running your own dogs what do you hate that people do when you know so the how-to became really more than anything like like my exploring my insecurity about like i don't want to be the guy that like, <laughs> does the stupid thing or and, uh, and i remember like there's a guy there's a line in there or the piece in some segment in there about um about hunting with guides and how you how you go about tipping and how you go about this mm. and that and what you do around guides and how you interact and um i remember asking a, a guy from texas up a guy who works at a big um ranch kind of preserve in texas like what what makes him nervous about clients and like what do clients do that really get him on edge and he's like i always look at their boots as soon mm. as they show up i look at their boots and if i see a guy wearing brand new boots like I'm nervous because <laughs> mm. if, if that person hasn't walked around outside a lot, then I don't know what I'm getting into. And mm. so it was things like that, that, you know, note to self read, like <laughs> break in your boots, <laughs> like don't, you know, but, but so again, that's where I had some Liberty to, to explore that stuff. And, and again, because I don't like being, I hate being new at stuff. I hate not knowing how to do things. And so if you can ease that process and also acknowledge that there is a process at play and that this is a, 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 a pathway that's challenging to navigate, but here are some ways to make it slightly less painless. You know, for me, that was, that was just valuable. I, like I said, I'm proud of that. I still, that novel still terrifies me and I still, and I don't think I have, to me, to me, if I could write a piece of great fiction or sort of creative nonfiction, if I could tell a story that has an arc, um, that's the one that at the dinner table when we were all drunk on Sotol, like I, <laughs> I had in my mind's eye. But like, and maybe it's out there. I don't know that. But that concept of having a story that's rich enough and big enough and long enough to tell in that form, mm -hmm. that it terrifies me. Like, I don't. Because I think what the, sorry, now we're getting into like 
this is turning into a therapy session for me. So it's just like, cause you have, you know, you look at that and then you say like, do I have anything, any story that's really worth telling, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like, I can see the value in the, in the how to, or sort of the, the introspective how to, <clears throat> but then when you start to think about like having a bigger story, that's, that's worth sharing and having the confidence to share it. That's like, mm -hmm. that's a different level. So I want to get to the, it just learn about the Ronnie Smith book too, but it seems like a natural place to ask, you know, both of you who, who value the written words so, so deeply, you know, if, if folks are listening and they wanted to read an upland bird hunting oriented novel, you know, something that, that would get them, you know, when they're traveling the country this fall, that they'd feel, like this is great writing and it lives in the, the, you know, that sense of place and the sense of the uplands that really gravitate towards, you know, what, what do you hold up as your favorite literary upland bird hunting dogs novel that you would uh, point people towards? And it, we'll start with Chad seeing as he's got like 3000 books. On his yeah, I was going to invite you to Chad first. Yeah, go um, well, thanks, Bob. Uh, you're supposed to stick to the outline here. Uh, yeah, we haven't you, even been remotely. Is, aren't we supposed to, to be talking about a t-shirt? <laughs> we're, we're, we're getting there, but tell us about your you've, favorite you've, book you, first. You violated the cardinal rule of asking a writer about his favorite book. <laughs> you, you put me on the spot. I have not had time to think about this. And I, and as you well know, I don't think well in my feet. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think of a novel that, uh, that would, that would fill that that definition, and I can't I can't really think of of one. Uh, obviously, have, you don't have one that comes to mind. Like it, maybe it isn't your favorite, but it's like people should upland pheasants forever members quail forever members. They should read this one if they're if they haven't already. Well, I mean anything by, and I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Geet Delvin uh, Valdine is is just you know fantastic writing. I mean, he's a guy that that uh, uh, just puts so much you know voice and character and and uh, uh, just, just introspection into his words. That I love his stuff. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and this is probably going to be a trite uh, kind of cliched answer. Jim Fergus's first book mm -hmm. is is still a classic, A Hunter's Road. Uh, I know a lot of a lot of uh, uh, hunters. You know, cite that as as a uh, as kind of an influence. Uh, Steve Bodio's books. I, you oh, know, man. Steve Bodio is a personal literary hero of mine. Um, he uh, uh, and it, a lot of his stuff isn't strictly about just bird hunting, mm -hmm. but he's such an in, such a fantastic writer, such a, a deep intellect, and such like he's just this polymath figure that knows everything about everything. And uh, anything that he writes on hunting or guns or, or life, basically, uh, I always listen to. He's always one of the first ones that I will recommend to to people if they want to read like a really deep thinking outdoors type writer. And, and he's so much more than that. I don't even want to try to pigeonhole him uh, into that. But uh, I'm trying to think of some others. Uh, so you you ahead. you mentioned Jim Fergus, The Hunter's Road, and certainly that was. As I'm asking the question, that's the one in my mind. But you say it's like, well, everybody knows that one. Do you really think every Uplander knows 
the Hunter's Road because I well I only that's a good stumbled upon it like five years ago and I've read it like really yeah well it's 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 long out of print you know I mean so if if you want to find it you're going to have to find it at like a used bookstore or a thrift store or something like that uh, but that's a good question uh, because you know and it kind of goes back to the point circling back to the point it was like does anybody read anymore uh, there are there are probably a lot of younger hunters out there. And uh, I, I don't say that in any sort of kind of disparaging or derogatory way. It's just, you know, a lot of younger or, or adult onset hunters who probably are not familiar with, with you know, guys like Jim Fergus. Uh, and the, the cool thing about Fergus's book is that, I mean, he, he was truly a beginner when he wrote that book. You know, I was like, he, he had not been hunting for, for terribly long. Uh, he, he, it was all new to him. You know, and and so it ha it brought this perspective, sort of what Reed was was talking about uh, earlier when he was writing uh, his book. Is like, you know, you, you project a lot of your insecurities into your writing, and so a lot of what he wrote about in that book was like first experiences for him, and so it, it kind of gave a window into like that wonder and awe of like experiencing this stuff for the first time. So it's uh, I think it's a, a vastly underrated book, and I wish that he still wrote. Uh, stuff like that he he went on to become sort of a, i think he he always wanted to be a novelist and uh, so he, he he wrote that and then he wrote a follow-up which i thought was not nearly as good as his, his first one it was basically just rehashed uh stories from you know magazine pieces but uh yeah hunter's road is a really good one yeah. he, he went on to be a novelist i think he's real big in france now mm -hmm. he is actually really big in france it's funny yeah. to say that because i wondered what happened to him too and so i went googling one day and uh he wrote well, he wrote what a thousand white women, right? That, yeah, this big about, novel, and then now I feel like he's been working on a book for eons, like maybe one p. But yeah, he's. I know that in Europe he has quite a following. He may even live yeah. in Europe now. I think. I think he does. Yeah, at least part time. I, I know that he. Uh, I think that he travels back to the United States to to bird hunt, hmm. but uh, I'm not sure that he lives here full time anymore. I'm trying to think of some other titles. Well, we'll let we'll let Reed. I've got. I was writing. I was, because, I, know, I was writing down notes as I got the. I got the easy. <laughs> well, Chad, follow up. Chad probably rattled off uh, thirteen in that time span. So, right. what uh, what jumped so, to mind for you? <laughs> the one that actually just. It's funny. This this is a, a so I'm a serial like rereader. Like mm -hmm. I reread and reread and reread the same stuff over and over. Just because if I find something, it's, it's like a security blanket. It's like a comfort to me to reread. Um, and so it's funny when I was just making some notes of books to mention. Like a lot of them I haven't reread, and I think it was because they were powerful enough in some way that I just didn't really want to go through the, the the emotional journey of rereading them but the one that that actually is just i think being made into a um a movie now or has been made is uh ironically and it's a book that i read and have thought you know you read those books that just stick with you like you don't even know why you're like oh it just like comes up in my normal daily routine sort of as something i reference or, or think about um is uh east of the mountains by david gutterson mm -hmm. who wrote here at snow falling on cedars, mm -hmm. snow on cedars. Is, yeah so it's a it's a book um as i recall and and i recall like vividly little bits and pieces of it but i don't recall the whole arc of the story essentially about a guy who i think i think has a terminal cancer diagnosis and yeah. goes off on this last kind of hurrah hunting in oregon i believe or eastern yeah. washington um with his Brittany's. 
and is just kind of processing end of life and revisiting his relationship with his wife and really beautiful. There's just some very like beautiful um, descriptions of his memories of his relationship with his wife, who I think had passed away and they're sort of like early life. It's just a beautiful story. And it's sort of his contemplation of, I think, thinking about the fact that he, well, I don't want to give it away, but it, but it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Has a strong sense of place. Britney's are in it, which just makes it cool for me. Um, <laughs> you know, and like he's chucker hunting and he's like, kills a couple of chuckers and he like cooks them, mm-hmm. you know, just simply over a fire and like eats chuckers because he's hungry. And it's just, I don't, there was just something about that story that it, it was both beautiful and also, um, just very like simple and linear. And mm-hmm. I, I like that. So they, I just heard that they made a movie out of it with Tom Skerritt. Hmm. Um, I don't know who else is in it, but I, I think that's due out here pretty soon. Hunter Sorotos on my, um, was on my list. There's two short, so novels a little bit tougher because a lot of, a lot of times like bird hunting will weave its way in and out of a novel somehow, but it's not sort of a center point, but um, I love Tom McGuane's stuff. And so there are two stories, shorter stories that uh, that stick out for me. One is called Flight. Uh, is it called Flight? Yeah, it's called Flight. I think, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then one's called The Man in Louisiana. And they're two very different stories, but they're both um, really more than anything. What McQueen does for me, which is so torturous and awesome about him, is that he it's like he has this surgical way of like getting into sort of the root of, of weird human dynamics and like, and like, like what would, you know, let me paint a picture or write a story about the thing that would make your stomach just like Mm. turn about a situation you couldn't get out of, or like, I don't know. He just does this thing Mm -hmm. and it's like, it just gets me so hard because I know, <laughs> you know, I'm so glad I'm not one of those characters, but I'm so fascinated to be like, oh, oh, it's got to be so awful. So um, Flight is about similarly somewhat to the to the Gutterson book about <clears throat> kind of an end of life experience, but in a in a pretty haunting story about hunting sharp tails and, and uh, Hans are hunting the prairie in Montana, a couple of friends. And then um, Man in Louisiana is about a guy who basically goes to pick up a high dollar um uh pointer from a trainer to give basically like a corporate gift a gift to this guy and he loses the dog and it's just like oh god it's brutal so you gotta read those you gotta read them um you know what? just wrote go ahead no go ahead read no i was just gonna say i got a couple more i just wrote down because uh because this is like the best thing ever when you get asked this question um uh bodio stuff is awesome like he's he's just like i mean i think chad nailed it like he's just He's an incredible writer. He's just such an intellect. Like he's, he's one of those guys that, uh, I don't know. He's just, he's all there. (laughs) He's really good. Um, there's a, so my favorite piece of outdoor, probably my favorite piece of writing, like the one that I always go back to as just like, this is the benchmark. This is what we all should aspire to is a river runs through it by Mm -hmm. Norman McLean. And, um, everything about that, everything about it is just perfect. It's like, I mean, he took, he basically wrote that, wrote that sort of published that book novella when he was like 80 or something. And he had essentially written that in his mind for 60 years, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it, and he was a, and you know, he's a professor of, of um, literature. Like he, all the pieces were there. It's a brilliant book, but he wrote a, a piece 
I think in Esquire. He wrote very little that was published, but he wrote a piece for Esquire called Retrievers Good and Bad. Hmm. You can find, if you go scratching around, you can find it. It's actually about duck hunting. And it's got, the ending's kind of like, the ending doesn't wrap it up. When you read it, you'll see what I'm saying. But it's essentially a story of like his childhood in small town Montana and Missoula, Montana. And this idea that like, a lot of the the local men were duck hunters, but they hated like keeping a dog because it was expensive and they didn't want to deal with the dog. They didn't want to train a dog. So like when duck season got close, like everyone just locked up their dogs because people would just grab them like off the street. Just be like, there's one. Let's take it. And then we'll take it duck hunting. And so his dad had this series of like random dogs and he had a Chesapeake Bay Retriever that just, you know, wouldn't retrieve. And so there's a scene in this story that's just beautiful, well-written story <clears throat> where Norman's out duck hunting with him and, and, uh, and the, the, you know, they shoot a duck and the retreat, the Chesapeake Bay retriever goes out and like swims around the duck and swims back, you know, and the dad's like, no, go fetch, you know, the dog's not trained at all. He's trying to get the dog to fetch. And then, uh, finally the dog does this like three times, like swims around the duck and comes back, doesn't fetch it. And then he looks over at Norman and he's like, son, take your clothes off. You're going swimming. <laughs> and uh, and he, so he writes this little story about how like, he's like, yeah, you know, I was young and tough back then, but there was also like a 40 duck limit back then. <laughs> like after a while, it got pretty cold. But that, I don't know. I always think about that one, but that I just want to throw two more out there for people that have any interest in, in reading this stuff. Um, I love the work of uh, Rick Bass and actually for Jim Fergus. And I think it's in a hunter's road, maybe it's in the sporting road references going to hunt with Rick Bass in the Yak Valley in Northwest Montana. Um, but Rick Bass is a brilliant writer, beautiful, beautiful writer uh, and is still writing. Um, and he, um, he wrote a book called Coulter about his German short hair. I think it was his first dog. That was a great, really, really wonderful well-written, um, just, just a great, a great book and worth reading. Um, the last one I'm going to say is, uh, there's a local regional writer up here in Vermont that weaves bird hunting into a lot of his stuff. And that's a guy named Howard Frank Mosier He's not terribly well known, but he, he wrote a handful of books, um, that are like, uh, let's see, um, Northern borders, disappearances, where the rivers flow north, a whole bunch that are just, they, they regularly incorporate hunting and fishing, which just to me is like, mm-hmm. kind of makes it more, more personal. So anyway, I went on too long. Those are mine. That's my list. Well, it brings up an interesting point though, because, because I've thought about this a lot, you know, bird hunting to me is, is such poetry. You know, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, that, that appeals to me about bird hunting and it lends itself so well to to prose and to the literary style and everything, but there's not really been a lot of of really good literary like novel length prose about bird hunting. I I don't know that there's really been much other than you know uh, uh, East of the Mountains uh, that there has ever been a book. But a lot of novelists are bird hunters, right. you know. So there's that connection. It's like Richard Ford who is a, you know, I don't know if he's published a lot lately, but, you know, he's a, a well-known novelist. He's a bird hunter. Phil Caputo, you know, obviously yeah. Jim Harrison. Jim Annie Prue. Annie Prue is an avid bird hunter. She's yeah, Annie Prue. I mean, one of the original contributors to Gray's Sporting Journal, Annie Prue, yeah. a lot of people don't realize that. Uh, yeah, yeah. But they've never really, like, there's there's never been a novel, like the Great American Bird Hunting Novel, which is, I, I thought, has always been uh, 
kind of interesting, you know, for because they're writing, as, they're, they're making space for you to write it, Chad. That's what ah, maybe so. I do have to mention one, one writer that I, I, I didn't want to, to forget is, and he's a regional writer, a lot like uh, uh, your regional writer, this guy named John Graves. And he wrote a book called Goodbye to a River back in like the late 50s. It was a finalist for uh, for the uh, Pulitzer Prize, I think, back then. But just a fantastic, he's, he's probably been one of the biggest influences on me as just as a writer. Uh, and he didn't, he wrote a lot. He didn't, he didn't have a, like a, a, a big output in terms of books. He wrote, he was most famous for Goodbye to a River, uh, which was a, a just like sort of the lyric kind of a elegiac trip down uh, the Brazos River before it was going to be dammed. And uh, uh, he incorporated a lot of history and personal narrative and, and hunting along with it. And just an absolutely fantastic book. And he's written a lot about, uh, uh, he wrote a lot of short stories and, and, and articles about things like bird hunting. Uh, so I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention him. It, it, which made me think, as you were saying that, the the I can't believe neither one of us said this, but the one that you and I have talked about is um, The Earth is Enough, Harry Middleton. Oh, Harry Middleton. Yeah. yeah I mean, a just great, a haunting great. writer. I mean, it's like probably one of the most like haunting writers I've ever read. Yeah. He's dead now. <laughs> he but, truly is haunting. Um, but uh, <laughs> but that's a brilliant, I mean, for folks that just like, the outdoors and sort of stories of family that have a pretty strong theme of, of, um, yeah, all of that, like guns and quail and fishing and hunting and family. And like, that's a beautiful, beautiful, it's, it wanders, you know, you got to kind of yeah. stick with it, but it's a beautiful book. All right. We'll, we'll transition to, uh, to the t-shirt here. Um, let, let me, uh, <laughs> give a shout out to uh, South Dakota. Department of Tourism in South Dakota Game Fish and Parks. There's no thrill like a walk through a field in the world's greatest place to hunt pheasants, South Dakota. Learn about guides, lodges, and public land at huntthegreatest.com. So bringing this full circle from a conversation uh, that started with Instagram. Uh, it might... Actually, it started with a menage a trois. Well, it right. did. I, I believe it did, yeah. Yep. I probably we've dropped that in so many times I probably can't edit it out now either. So, <laughs> <laughs> but so you know we we've done some really cool collaborative um, apparel over the years, and and it's almost always been focused on pheasants forever. And and this was a conversation that Chad and I had a couple months ago. Like, gosh, we really need to get something cool together for quail forever and we unanimously came and like well we got to call reed we gotta we gotta talk to reed and do a quail forever orvis collab and reed was all about it and um the first person you thought of reed was jay dowd and that's where i'm circling it back to my assumption is instagram enters in to the consciousness here for bringing Jay Dowd um, at least into um, to your consciousness. Is that true? Is that where you first? Yeah, that's him? totally, totally where we, we first met. Um, my boss, Scott McEnany at Orvis um, had been, I mean, a few of us had just been, you know, it's funny, like I think about it now in with regard to when that was, it would have been about six years ago that, you know, now I feel like there's just this 
proliferation of upland people, you know, kind of bird hunting community on Instagram at the time, maybe I'm wrong, but at the time, as far as our awareness went, there weren't that many people that were presence on social media. And Jay was one of them as upland low life. And, uh, and I think we all just kind of got a kick out of his, uh, how would I say it? Kind of, kind of self-deprecating, kind of cynical, kind of like, here I am, I'm, I'm this guy, you know, shooting Parkers and, and, uh, and you smoking a pipe, but also, you know, think it's, I, I it's funny to be, to be calling myself up and low. Like, just, I don't know. There's yeah, just like yeah. a funny thing about him and, uh, um, met him literally. And it's, it's amazing to me now that I think about this, that, that my boss, Scott, who's a pretty, um, uh, certainly knowledgeable guy and definitely aware of like what's going on out there in the space. But, but he made the leap to somehow get in touch with those guys. There's a handful of people that were doing stuff on Instagram at the time. And we went out to Michigan and hunted with them. And now I think about it, I'm like, we didn't know these guys from Adam. <laughs> like uh, could have been walking into like a mass murder weirdness. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, Scott got us out there. We struck up a relationship and, uh, and Jay's an impressive dude. He, um, Obviously, a great artist has a very unique and and uh, easily identifiable um, kind of aesthetic, I guess you would say, and it's largely rooted around or focused around grouse and woodcock because that's his. He lives in Michigan. He hunts a lot of grouse and woodcock. Um, but uh, but I just like his. He he's got kind of a pen and ink style. And my terminology is awful, but it's it's this sort of uh, really clean, not overly stylized, but not hyper realistic either mm. so it's sort of it's not cartoon i don't know how to describe it other than that i'm not i don't have the terminology to really express what what it is but i just knew he would he would um he'd come up with something that would speak to the quail hunters among us and and uh and he did and um and so it was cool too to you know i think that's one of the things that's that's really wonderful about it's true in fly fishing it's true in bird hunting for sure um probably somewhat similar in duck and and turkey and and whitetail but it's it's different somehow is that a lot of the time the the people that are producing the really um innovative and interesting artwork around those that subject is um people that are that are equally as invested in doing the thing you know so jay's a guy that spends a lot of time out in the woods looking for birds and shooting guns and whatever um it's just a pretty authentic take on mm. okay this is what what I want to express as, you know, it was totally open ended. It was like Chad was saying earlier about writing. It was just sort of like, Hey Jay, draw a picture of quail. <laughs> and he's like, okay, you know, uh, and lo and behold, the, whatever, six weeks later, we had a picture of a quail, but what I, I just like, I, I don't know. And, and maybe this is, um, maybe this is, uh, unfair to say, but I love sporting art. And yet there are some things that, um, yeah, um, just don't lend themselves to sort of everyday mm -hmm. interpretation. So like, you know, you, you can look at a great watercolorist or, or oil painter who's, who, you know, I'm looking in my little office space here. I have some prints of like, um, uh, who is it? Alden, Alden, Aiden, LaSalle Ripley, or, or, uh, trying to think some of the others, like, Ogden Pleissner or, you know, some of those great, but you can't really put that on a t-shirt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, it's hard to translate. And so to be able to capture something that sort of is not only 
a cool representation of the of the artwork and, and sort of how Jay interpreted the artwork, but also, um, you know, be able to be a bit of a calling card and say, sorry, my I've got a guy texting me that's making little noises come over my computer. I apologize. Um, in any case, um, you know, it's a bit of a calling card. You put that shirt on, you walk around and people, you know, there's sort of a sort of a order of, of like-minded people mm -hmm. and you can kind of see it from a, a mile away, you know, and that's, to me, that's just, Pretty cool. Did I answer? I, I I got so when those little chimes were going off, I got all distracted. <laughs> no, I I think you answered it pretty well. It's it, it is a it is a beautiful design. It's it, you know when you see it, um, you pretty quickly can identify it as Jay's work. You know he's very um, there's a kind of he um, there's a style that captures his and with many artists you know there's sort of triangles and dimensions and you see that in in the bird's feather um the, the bob white's feather and feathers and then there's a story there too um that the shirt is called the cubby call and it's that bob white classic scene on a fence post singing um, and with beautiful habitat in the background and kind of a take on our own logo with the sunset and a little bit of Grateful Dead-esque <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. look to the sunset. And, you know, Andy Edwards, who is a Quail Forever um, program manager, is like, you know, this has got to be on a bright color shirt to appeal to, you know, the Southern Bob White culture. And it's on this really emerald green in um, t-shirt in the the jay's artwork just pops off yeah. of that that really colorful shirt i mean it, no doubt um this will be your saint patrick's shirt for the yeah, it's, it's <laughs> the <green>. next decade <laughs> right but, it, but I mean, it is really you know it's it it does speak to that kind of southeast beach culture i think yeah yeah for sure no it, it, like i love that it because when we circled around, we were all talking about like what color T-shirt blank do we want us to be on, and uh, and the green was a pretty unanimous um, choice, and uh, and I love that we were all thinking along the same lines because it it's it's not a color you see you don't have this in your mm -hmm. drawer. It's like a different sort of deal, and uh, and it's also just I like I don't know about you all, but like i have a zillion white t-shirts and I have a zillion black t-shirts mm -hmm. and i just sometimes want something different mm -hmm. and it's so it's got that to it so uh yeah it's it's very it's very cool and it's very cool that jay was and i should say too that jay was very generous um with the artwork and, and donating the original artwork back to to pfqf for um for uh uh you know another fundraising effort so right. so he's he's a true um a gentleman and a philanthropist. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's thanks um, from our organization to Jay for sure. And thanks Reed to you and to Orvis for saying, yeah, we'll, we'll jump on board and do a collaborative QF shirt. And, and we'll, you know, not only will we do it and help elevate the quail forever brand within uh, the massive community that Orvis serves, but also we'll donate all those proceeds back to, to quail forever in our habitat mission. So this is 
you know, in many ways, Jay Orvis Quail Forever, another Menage Trois partnership. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> to the, the one more. Right, <laughs> so another hit there. Um, but yeah. it really, for folks, um, you know, obviously a podcast you can't necessarily see the shirt, but we'll have we'll have a link to the in the show notes. Um, and and a kind of an alert here. Uh, this this is a really pretty small quantity. Um, I think we're just a little over 200 shirts that are pre- yeah, being produced. So right it's around two, 225 in a range of sizes. So not there's not a lot. So it's one of those things where, you know, it, don't delay. If you like it, when you see it, jump on it um, because it's going to be gone. And, uh, and And that's our goal is to sell this, um, sell it fast and demonstrate the the quail forever audience out there that's interested in um sort of unique um artistic collaborations like this so we can so we can do more of it um so don't delay uh jump on board and uh um buy the shirt and you'll help make a contribution to our habitat mission uh guys it's been (laughs) you've given a ton of time uh it's been a fun and a uh, wide-ranging conversation today, from uh, from Instagram to uh, literary heroes to artists, and the common thread has been menage trois. So I don't know how we <laughs> we we, we get the FCC involved here. Yeah, but thankfully we've kept it uh, out of the gutter. Um, I guess we'll go uh, closing thoughts and, uh, and 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 close out the podcast. And we'll we'll start with Chad. What's your uh, you know you got a, a really broad spectrum of uh, topics we could we could cover in closing thoughts. What's your final thought, Chad? Oh, I, are, are we finished? Yeah, I, we're, I still wanted to talk for a we're while. We're wrapping this baby up. We're 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 an hour well, heading into an hour and a half. God, I, we have all this stuff I was wanting to talk about, like our, our plans for the season and and all this stuff. Now you're kicking. You finally get me on a podcast, Bob, and now you're kicking me off after an hour and seventeen <laughs> minutes. You finally got me where I want to talk, and then you're closing it. Keep no, I'm, I'm keep just the like, listener I'm super wanting more, Chad. <laughs> it's my, like I've got my my silver headphones on and everything. So. <laughs> no, I I think it's a, a fantastic T-shirt design. I'm I'm super excited about it. I will probably buy. Uh, if you're going to buy size large, you better do it quickly because I'm going to get several of them. Uh, and I don't know how many larges there are, but uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna buy some. So. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it's great. This is, I'm super excited about it because I, I, yes, I did just use the term super excited. <laughs> um, I'm just excited about it because I, you know, just from my own personal perspective, I've been with the organization for what, three years now, mm-hmm. three, a little over three years, you know, and to, to have like an exclusive QF collaboration after seeing all this cool stuff that PF has, has done with, with, you know, other uh, uh, entities, which there's nothing wrong with pheasants, you know, I mean, I, I, I shoot them when I have to, but I'm a quail guy, you know, and I, I like quail and to see something on a t-shirt design that just screams QF and, and screams QF in such a cool and new and refreshing way and, and fresh way is, uh, is really exciting for me. Yeah. All right, Reed, what, what's your closing thoughts as we wrap up here? 
Yeah, just want to recognize what Chad said in that, um, you know, great to have some love out there for for Quail Forever and to beautiful artwork to to share with people that, that love quail, love quail habitat, love quail hunting. Um, always a pleasure just to recognize the incredible work that PFQF has done. Um, really, it's impressive when you take a step back and just look at the efforts that, that are done, not only around habitat, but around building the community of upland hunters, um, people in agriculture, farmers, so on and so forth, they can really just sustain these species. Because in the end, you know, for for folks like me, folks like I, I think the other gentlemen on this podcast, you know, what we what we drive a lot of um, identity from and, and enjoyment from is just being outside and knowing that there are these different species, both the game species and and those other species that that are representative of a healthy ecosystem, you know, just being out there with them is awesome. So I want to say that, um, I want to say it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Uh, just, just, I could go on and on. I mean, I, I, I had so many to- stories teed up that I was going to tell you, um, but uh, we'll have to do another one. So we'll, uh, um, really appreciate, appreciate the time. We'll, we'll definitely have to do another podcast. And, you know, I, I should have known the minute I asked about Instagram and literary idols with the two of you, um, I just had to sit back and listen because I, I hit on two of both of your favorite topics. So <laughs> I feel like I feel like we were both pretty pretty reserved, pretty good about the Instagram. Yeah, I think we could have gone could have gone yeah, way yeah. deeper. Reed and I have had some some very long rambling conversations about a lot of that stuff. So <laughs> really want to say thanks again to you guys for spending so much time, and and most importantly, thank you to Jay Dowd. Uh, for the, the beautiful artwork and thanks to Orvis for uh, jumping on board and collaborating with Quail Forever. Uh, for Chad Love, for Reed Bryant from Orvis, I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs>